Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts this morning to see the way that you see, um, to watch what you're doing, and to experience your presence in us, showing us the way. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We will be uh, digging into this parable of Jesus this morning, the parable of the persistent widow, the importunate woman as the King James had it when I grew up. And uh, this is a, a really amazing parable. Um, I find this woman quite intimidating, actually. Uh, I am no match for her, for sure. Uh, and uh, maybe, who knows, maybe it's kind of stereotypically male to uh, kind of want to step to the side when you're in the presence of a woman like this. Uh, not that I have any personal experience of that. Um, <laughs> sorry, you can laugh there if you know what I'm talking about. But, um, <laughs> so this is uh, Luke chapter 18 and if you have your Bibles um, or your Bible apps if you want to open them up to that section you'll note that this parable follows right on the heels of Jesus' very strong words about the coming of the Son of Man the coming of the kingdom of heaven and that's very important for understanding our parable. There's a direct connection between the words of Jesus at the end of chapter 17 and our parable, which comes right in the beginning of chapter 18. And um, the connection, uh, you can just kind of lift out the key theme here in chapter 17, verse 30. This is where Jesus is describing the great and terrible day of the coming of the Lord. And he says there, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It's going to be cataclysmic. Things are going to be very different. They're going to change dramatically. And that drama of the end of chapter 17 comes with this question or this, this comment. It will be this way on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. That's the, the key theme of, of what's going to happen. What, what happens at the very end is the revelation of the Son of Man. It's a very dynamic and dramatic statement and you'll see the connection to our parable because our parable ends with this statement. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Now you don't need to understand all of that. That sounds really abstract. I just want you to see the verbal parallels. Jesus in the preceding passage is talking about the revelation of the Son of Man. Now in this parable he's saying, will this kind of faith be there in the world when the Son of Man comes. So again, I'll, I'll explain more of that as we go on. I just want you to see this connection that this parable, as many of the parables are, isn't just simply a good way to live your life. I mean, I, there's a trick with parables. We think that because they're stories, they're kind of like fairy tales or kids' stories. And if you know anything about the parables of Jesus, you'll know they're anything but that. They're challenging. It's like walking into a brick wall half the time. You're like, ah, wow, whoa. That's what a parable is supposed to do. And the location of parables is also very interesting too because it's hard to understand this parable if we don't understand where it's coming in the telling of Jesus' life. So that's kind of the key point. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the revelation of the Son of Man. And there's something really important that he wants to communicate about that. It's so important that he takes a step back for, for a second. He says, look, I want to tell you a story about this. I want to give you 
I want to give you an insight into what I'm trying to tell you about the revelation of the Son of Man in the last day. The Son of Man is just another way of talking about the Messiah, about Jesus. It's a dramatic way, and that's a, another thing. But when Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his second coming, about when the course of history reaches a climax and Jesus will come again in power and glory to usher in the new world. It's a very big story that we're a part of. It, the, 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 the earth doesn't just kind of peter out. You know, it just doesn't kind of go up in a ball of flame because it just, there was nothing else to do. I mean, there's gonna be balls of flames, but it's gonna be something that God himself does as part of the recreation of the world. And we may not know it, but you know, when, when we embraced faith in Jesus Christ, we were integrated into this amazing journey that we're on. It's a journey that will end with the revelation of the Son of Man and the recreation of a new world and new bodies. That's our destiny. And that we're all of us on this journey of transformation and we're moving somewhere. And that movement through time towards this end is not always very comfortable. I think we're all pretty aware of that, that, that the process of getting from today to that day is a hard one. And Jesus acknowledges that. And that's why he starts out our section here to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. I can relate to that. Can you relate to that? Do you ever feel like I'm just losing heart? You know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm sorry, I have to make a football analogy because I've got these provocative Green Bay Packers fans, you know, staring at me. And uh. <laughs> I don't know why we allow this kind of thing, but we're in Wisconsin, so I have to be patient. Um, <laughs> But it's kind of like you're, you know, you're on the 25-yard line and you can see the end zone, but you just like, you know what, I just can't make it there. I I'm done here. You know, I just didn't have enough energy to make it to the very end. That's what it will often feel like in life, and Jesus is trying to say, I acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that, that there's a temptation to lose heart, but there's something else going on that I want you to see. And, and that's why he kind of tells the story a little bit here because he's willing just to explain it. He wants to say there's going to be resistance when you're working in the kingdom. When you're a part of God's family, you're gonna experience some headwinds. So uh, there's gonna be resistance. So as we undertake the daily work of kind of bothering the judge, which is our ministry, <laughs> bothering the judge in prayer, the relationship with God and intercessory prayer actually becomes a venue, a place for experiencing his justice, his grace, his love, his passion. It's where we get gas in the tank. It's where we can see, wait a second, you know, I can make it to the end. We can't do that on our own strength. But in this process that he's gonna describe, there's something that happens that he wants to portray to us that, that we, we actually, we can. 
So I want to come at this. Par- parables will take you all your life to understand, so you can never capture it like in one essential teaching. But there are two dimensions to this that I want us to explore this morning. One dimension of this is the corporate dimension. That prayer is not something we do on our own. It's something we do together. That's the first thing I want to do. Oh, wow, maybe that's the Holy Spirit going to give me some help here. Um, <laughs> just let me know if that's the case. <laughs> that's okay, don't, don't worry about it. Um, the other dimension is the dimension of our personal engagement. So I want to acknowledge both of those things. One is the thing we do together, and the other is this very personal dimension. Okay, I want to, and this is just coming right out of the text. You'll note regarding the, the I want to talk first of all about the mission of the church, God's people. You'll note in the parable that he talks about the elect. Did you get that phrase? Um, This is in verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? So what he's doing is he's connecting the experience of this widow with the church with the elect, with the body of Christ, with God's people through time, Jews and Gentiles. And so he's saying, will he not cry out? Now, for those of you who have spent a little bit of time in the scripture, if I were to talk to you about God hearing the cry of the elect, does your mind go anywhere? I'll tell you where, where mine went. It went to Exodus. Because does that not sound like uh, what happens to Israel when they're praying in slavery. Most Jewish people would hear it that way. This comes from Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, that's the long time, right? We're gonna hear that as a theme. During those many days, 400 years actually, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew That's a very powerful passage. And Jesus is connecting his ministry to that because he is the new Moses. He's leading his people out of slavery to sin on their way to a very real promised land. It's God's nature to hear the cry for help and respond. It's how he himself has defined himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel who was rescued and redeemed. So this parable is kind of coming into this much larger story of the redemption of God's people in history. And this, this kind of dynamic just ripples all the way through, through Scripture. So we have the experience of God's people over the course of time giving voice to this. And another passage that comes to mind is from the Apostle Paul where he writes in uh, Romans chapter 8, the creation groans together for the revealing of the sons of God and we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for this hope we were saved and we wait with patience. Can you hear very similar words being used? He's not talking about just simply about, and I'll get this this in the second part here, he's not 
talking only about our own personal challenges. He's trying to say, the scripture Jesus is trying to teach, our personal challenges are part of something bigger. And he wants to bring our lives into this bigger picture because that's very important. We have to be able to make this connection. The connection is that we're waiting for the redemption of the world, for the redemption of our bodies, for the manifestation of God, for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the renewal of all things. That's our story. That's what we're a part of. And we have a vital role to play. And the ministry of intercession is in this place. It's praying for something much bigger than ourselves. It's a priestly ministry of being the people of God on earth. Jesus is encouraging us to take our place as priests for the renewal of the creation. Stewards, and you, again, this just comes right through the whole history of scripture. Adam and Eve were given a commission to steward the world. Of course, that was broken through sin. Israel was called out to bear witness to the work of God in the world, that there is a God and that he's a certain kind of God, full of mercy and compassion. And of course, this comes full swing in the ministry of Jesus who calls us to the kingdom of heaven. That's the same kingdom that was at work from the very beginning to bring forth into the world grace and truth and life and hope. That's intercession. That's the church groaning on behalf of creation to God to say, come Lord Jesus. And of course the mission like this, wit- this uh, widow comes through weakness, not through strength, not through the strength of the world. Israel is the least of all peoples and God was very quick to tell them that. He was very blunt. He said, yeah, don't think it's because you're so great that I chose you. It's because I love you that you're special. Uh, you know, and we think we know this, but we have to hear it like every day. <laughs> you know, you're special because I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forget that. I heard that somewhere before. It's not in our own strength. The widow is the most vulnerable member of society, particularly in the Middle East at this time, in the ancient Near East. And this is so interesting because Jesus is constantly doing this. He's very subversive, all right? This widow is, on the one hand, the most vulnerable member and an object of God's justice. God does not like it when Israel ignores the widows and the orphans. He, he dislikes that almost more than anything else. And Israel, you know, and I don't mean to point fingers at Israel because the church doesn't do so much better either. God's people fail when we miss the, the responsibility of caring for, for the vulnerable. But who becomes the most amazing actor on God's behalf is that very widow. I mean, is that not amazing? Jim, I've been thinking about the guys in your ministry. These are the most vulnerable, broken people coming out of jail, and yet they themselves become the most powerful actors in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, if I'm a widow and I read this, I feel incredible. I feel special. Because not only am I just a passive recipient of charity, I become 
Well, you know this, <laughs> getting ahead of myself there, but this phrase of, of beating the judge, it, it's, the, the Greek there is, is basically black eye. It's giving him a, bl- you're hitting under the eye is the Greek. <laughs> she's, it's an athletic term. I gotta get this widow off me because she's giving me like a black eye. I just love this part of what Jesus is doing. To pray and not lose heart, therefore, is something that we're doing together. All right, this is God's people's ministry. And so one thing I just want to ask is, is, first of all, are we praying this way? I mean, as members of God's people, do we have a consciousness of praying with others? You know, if you can even have time to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning, it will help you because the Lord's Prayer starts out with what? Our Father. We're praying with Christians all throughout the world and across time. Our Father in heaven. We're praying with the church for the church's mission, for God's mission in the world. And another question I'd like to, self, I'd like to ask ourselves is, what are we praying for in this way? Are you praying for a missional purpose in your life? Do you ever make any room to pray for something missional? A missionary friend that you know or you're supporting or a part of the body of Christ that's being persecuted. Who are you praying for this way? Are you interceding for anything that's larger than yourself? Now, I'm tempted to forget that part too. I mean, I get consumed with my own problems. But we need to break out of that and remember God is calling us to something bigger than that. And and I think sometimes we don't get there because we're so afraid of our own problems. We are so bound up with fear that we can hardly break out to care for somebody else. But that's a mission that we have. Is God opening your eyes and your heart to an area of injustice and need that breaks God's heart and yours? Is your heart broken by anything? You know, that's a good question to ask yourself because it is, I know it is because the Holy Spirit's living in you. It's just a process of letting that come forth with more vigor. Where is your heart breaking? And, and don't try to come up with the right answer. You know, it's, it's deeply personal. Your heart's gonna break in some respects to things that you care about more than anybody else. Nobody was going to this judge for the, on this widow's behalf. It was her own conviction. And I want to ask you, what, where is your heart breaking? Is that, a, is that an indication that you really care about something that you want to pray into? It doesn't need to look like anybody else's thing. It's important for us to pray at the, as, the, as a body of Christ because it's going to help us combat self-centeredness and it, it shapes our prayers around these scriptures themes and you'll just see this all over the place. I think in Luke's gospel of Simeon and, Simeon and Anna praying in the temple for the redemption of Israel and they have the blessing of seeing Jesus as a, as a, as a baby when he comes to be dedicated. Think of Jesus in the Lord's prayer, our Father, or Paul. Paul who's praying for Israel. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That's the broken heart. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Or how about John, the very last verse of the Bible. The bride says, come Lord Jesus. That's the church's prayer. John knew that because he saw the new heaven and the new earth. 
And John, more uniquely than anyone, because of that vision, was able to pray that prayer and lead us in that. And what's the prayer you're supposed to lead us in? If you're not praying it, the church is diminished in our mission because it's losing your voice. Pray as the body of Christ. Now, the second aspect of this is also very important, which is the deeply personal aspect because I don't want to make it sound like this is just simply a metaphor. I mean, this widow had a real adversary, and I don't know what the scripture here, the text does not say what the adversary was, but there was a widow, um, and she says, give me justice against my adversary. She's in a struggle. She has an adversary is deeply personal. She's feeling vulnerable, uh, maybe powerless. She doesn't act powerless, so I don't want to project that onto her. I'm just kind of imagining maybe. But she's certainly experiencing terrible headwinds, and she can't control the outcome on her own, and that I think we can all relate to. We don't know what the issue is, but we see that she has utter conviction. She is not double-minded. She's not exploring. She knows something, and I find that remarkable. She's not like I often am, kind of tossed about on the waves, as James says, you know. Don't really know what I'm asking, or if I do know what to ask, I'm very tentative because I'm not so sure. This woman had utter conviction, and I find that breathtaking. She knew what she wanted. I sometimes can be afraid of that, you know, because I know my weaknesses, my fallibilities, I know my limitations, and it's good to know that sometimes, but you can't just stop there. Not if God's putting something on your heart. Then it's okay to push through to the point of utter conviction. I find that difficult. It's, we need to be humble, we need to be open to correction, for sure, but when it's all said and done, this example is somebody who knew what she wanted with 100% conviction. I find that striking. I wanna contemplate that more myself. She had such determine, determination that she could go to this unjust judge and punch him in the eye. Really, I find this very impressive and very challenging. And the striking thing about this parable is, is what, I, I mentioned this once before, the parables often will deploy this technique of moving from the lesser to the greater. If you're a bad father and you do this, imagine if you were a good father. You know, this is another example from the lesser to the greater. You have this bad judge how much, imagine if this widow were going to a good judge who would rush to defend her. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's almost too good to be true, almost. But it is true. So there's utter assurance and, and even more because Jesus says, how much more will God rush to defend you? So one of the, complexities that I, I need to work through in my own life and I challenge you to work through with yours is do I know whether my request is as clear as it needs to be or does it need refining somehow? That's a sticky point for many of us. Okay, there's a risk here. There's a discomfort in getting to something with conviction that's also, that has fidelity Sometimes we feel a sense of conviction because we're broken. 
and we're actually clinging to something that God wants to take from us, how do you know the difference? You actually, you can't. It's too complicated. Sometimes I feel a sense of conviction of something because it's God's spirit in me and sometimes I feel a sense of conviction because I'm petrified. I sometimes don't know the difference. That again is where the body of Christ is essential because on the pathway to conviction, we're engaged with other people that we trust who are mature and can are able, they're more mature than we are and are able to help us understand when we're holding on to something good and when we're holding on to something that we need to let go. That's not something that we can do alone. It's not possible. We need help. And so one of the questions I want to ask us this morning is, as we gather momentum towards this sense of conviction, is it authentic? Is it humble? Does it come from the Holy Spirit? Has it, been, has it been communicated to the people that love us and, and know us? That's the refining process. Our lives intersect with the lives of other people. Our lives are a smaller part of a larger plan that only God knows. We're in a battle. It's complicated. That's why it's important to take steps towards conviction, but to do it in a community of faith. It's essential. So we may not know always the right answer, but we know the one who does. The critical factor as always hinges on trust. And trust isn't something we manufacture, it's something that arises from experiencing God personally. Trust isn't something you think your way into, you just either have it or you don't. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read about dads and then develop trust in my dad. I have trust in my dad because I have a lifetime with my dad. It's just what happens. And we oftentimes will, tr- will kind of run around that for some reason and say, ah, I'll just kind of think my way into this. But that, that, that causes blind spots. When, when we run around the relationship with God, we don't see any clear. We just trip on more stuff. But God wants to say, hang on a second. If you sit with me, your eyes will open because I am the source of truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the punchline. Imagine the story if the judge were God. That's the punchline of the story. How energizing it would be for the widow to approach someone that she knew would advocate for her. She would run there. Imagine if she said, gosh, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm going to go see that judge because he's my advocate. He knows what to do, and that's the whole point of the parable. And you'll see this in the next parable, which I'll just dip into because I can't help it. You'll see in verse 9, Jesus tells this parable, and Eric, Eric will be uh, preaching, I think, on this next week. Um, he also told this parable to someone who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Jesus isn't looking for people who trust in themselves. As wonderful as that sounds... I wish I could trust in myself and had all the resources to do everything that I needed to do. It's a very American way of thinking. Jesus says, yeah, I'm not looking for that kind of person. 
I'm not looking for that kind of person. I'm looking for the kind of person that can trust in me and not in themselves. It's a dramatic contrast. The widow does not fortify herself with wealth. She fortifies herself with faith in action. Not passive wishful thinking, but determination born out of conviction. So if you're like me, you can say, well, look, I'm just clearly not in her league. And I'm not. You know, I am not in her league. And I'm asking myself, where do we get this conviction? Well, this conviction is something that the Holy Spirit will give you if you ask him. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's not just us who groans. And he groans with us according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, God will answer your prayer. It's his will to do it. Yes, our prayers need refinement. We have limitations as sinful humans. We can seldom see with clarity, but God will bring it about. He alone can see all the moving parts. He alone can impact other people's actions. He alone sees the future. So yes, our prayers will change with God's help to become richer and fuller and more insightful and more life-giving if we are open to the process. But as I hasten to say, and I'm coming to the end here, this is not a parable about how God does not answer our prayers. <laughs> it's a parable about how he does answer our prayers and how our prayers for ourselves and our missions gather together in God's will for a very powerful witness in the world. And that's what you're called to. Your life matters to God. Your prayers are necessary. God is trustworthy. We have the Holy Spirit's promise to engage with us and he will answer our prayers. I tell you, says Jesus very emphatically, he will give justice to them speedily. That's good news. So I want to ask us just in closing, what are we praying? Take some time to reflect on that. Don't be surprised if you don't know the answer. Or if the first thing that arises in your heart is something like anger or disappointment or confusion, this is the weariness that Jesus talks about. May mean that there's something under the surface of your prayer that God wants to address. Yeah, God, I tried that before and it didn't work. You know, I asked for something and you, you know, I, I asked you for bread and you, you gave me a stone. There's something there that God wants to get at maybe. So don't be surprised if in the process of discernment you're feeling really something you don't like. Let that come to the surface. God wants to address it. Will the Son of Man find faith in the earth, Jesus asks. Yes, he will. He will because the gift of faith is something that he gives us freely to all who ask. Don't be afraid. Paul says to Timothy, be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Amen.